I know every time that we, we, we show the different service videos and so on with the songs, I, I, I remember Angie a few years ago, he got pretty fired up about the Air Force, and rightly so. It's exciting, you know, right? Air Force is the best, right? Said only those in the Air Force, right? And so anyway, uh, but, but, it, but it's, it's interesting to see sort of the, the, the school spirit, if you will, and, and I, I, I'm not a veteran, did not serve uh, in the military, and, and so don't have that point of reference. But I know there, it's interesting to take pride in something that you have been a part of, that you have given at least part of your life to, and you have you have said that that's that, those are those are my people. That that's that, that that's who I I want to be with. Some of us maybe can understand that, say from a from a school spirit standpoint. Uh, some of you I know, if we were to rewind the clock and go back to your time in high school, we would be surprised uh, not only at what you looked like, and you know, I had hair back then, but but not only what you looked like, but but some of you got really into school spirit, and, and, I, and I know that's true because you get really into school spirit now, even, within, when it comes to, to football season, which of course is now over, right? Football season for Kentucky is now over. We understand it was just a mirage, and so Louisville never had a chance. You don't have to get on me about it. I totally get it. That's fine. I don't care. And so now it's basketball season. Boy, Murray State wins big yesterday, and they had a big comeback in football as well. We get excited about those things. I remember the pep rallies that we that we used to have maybe you remember those way back in high school and of course for some of you it would have been you know we've got spirit yes we do you know we've got spirit how about you and you toss it to the other side of the gym right and then you go back and forth and and see who can be the loudest and when I when I was in high school one of the things they used to do is they would have competitions all the freshmen would sit in one spot and the sophomores juniors and seniors and have a competition to see who who was the most school spirit and of course you you had the freshmen who who weren't exactly sure what to do but they just made a lot of noise and and then the sophomores who don't really like themselves, and so they just kind of sat there. And then juniors who, who, by that point, they sort of had a little bit. They appreciated their school. Seniors were just done. They're just happy to be out of class. And so, they, you know, but it was interesting. We'd have these pep rallies, and I remember – for our football team, we would have pep rallies. Our football team was terrible. They were awful. And so nobody knew why we were excited about the football team. We had no idea. We're going to, you know, we're going to cheer them on. And, and our basketball team was really, really good. And so they would bring out the basketball guys and, and they would do sort of a, like a layup line and the last guy would dunk and, and all that kind of stuff. We get all excited and, you know, and, and I would sit there and, and as a, as an athlete, of course I played baseball. We didn't do pep rallies for baseball. It's just different. You know, I don't know why we didn't do that, but, but they didn't do pep rallies for baseball. Baseball is not exactly the sport where you get real fired up you know you don't see that very often football you have to because if you play football you're crazy and you have to be able to run around and knock people over and stuff basketball requires some emotion I guess baseball was pretty calm most of the time and and I was never a guy you know I kind of burned on the inside I didn't have a lot of explosiveness necessarily all the time on the outside but 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 I remember those pep rallies and and thinking what are we doing Who cares about this? Number one, a football team's terrible. Everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. It's okay. They're bad. But why are we doing that? It's always seemed sort of contrived to me. Get everybody out of class, and we're going to, you know, hey, just rah, rah, and get fired up. But, you know, the more that I think about that, and the more that I think about that football team that was struggling during that time, the more I wonder, maybe that really did help them. Maybe it did. Maybe it, maybe it felt good to know that there was an event that was held really just for you to try to say, you know what, we're behind you, we're, we're for you, we, at least in this moment we're cheering for you, you know, and, and, and maybe, maybe, it was, maybe it was good. Maybe it helped with their excitement. 
You know, I, I think of it having having been to those, and then since then been a coach and served in different capacities like that. And you know, pep rallies are great, but I, I, I guarantee you, those football coaches, those basketball coaches, would have said, you know, this is this is awesome, but but why can't our players play every game? every practice with this kind of excitement. You guys look around, boy, you're all fired up right now. Why can't it be like this every day? And every coach has been trying to unlock in his or her players uh, that kind of mentality. To go about every day with a kind of excitement, enjoyment, intensity to have during a pep rally. You're here this, this morning on a Sunday, and for some, it's kind of like a pep rally. It's it man I can't I can't wait to get to church on Sunday morning because I get excited and man Danny gets up and down the keys and man it's you know it just it, it encourages me and I get to see my friends and 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 I say all that and that can almost sound contrived right but it's not that's that's real it's partly why we come together it's probably why we get together on Sunday is because it is in one sense a spiritual pep rally it's something that helps us some of you came this morning you're like that football team at my alma mater you're terrible right now (laughs) really yeah terrible isn't it true my life's terrible and you're down in it and you know what maybe you're the problem you recognize that you're causing all sorts of problems in your life or maybe you're like the basketball team and things are going pretty well and man this is just another boost for you and you're just leaving here excited Maybe you're somewhere in between. But but wouldn't it be great, really great, if tomorrow, or maybe Tuesday, or Wednesday afternoon, or Thursday when it's not yet Friday, somebody threw you a personal pep rally. They showed up at work or at school, at your house, and said, I am here to fire you up. And they, they just throw you a personal pep rally, knowing exactly what you need to hear, what will, what, will, what will touch your heart most and get you excited and encourage you, and they show up and do that. Now, sometimes our friends will try. They know that you're down or they know things are going well or whatever. They want to encourage you, and sometimes you see something online and it gives you some sort of inspiration. Sometimes coming to church can do that for you as well. But I really believe in what we'll see today that the the key to unlocking that daily experience, that daily pep rally that you need right when you need it is not just having good friends. It's not just seeing the right quote or post online. And it's not just going to church for a boost. I really believe that what we need is the daily filling of God's Holy Spirit. And we're going to see that this morning in the scripture. The way to unlock that kind of daily experience is by a daily filling of God's Spirit. To not only inspire us for the, for the big things in life, okay, I've got something big, I, God, I really need your help with this, but to have a daily walk with God that, that gives us what we need every moment of every day. And I would venture to say that most of us are not experiencing that. I don't have any scientific evidence of that. I've not done a survey at Elm Grove. But just based anecdotally on what I know about people in general, I would venture to say that most of us are not living that way. Most of us get excited and we feel okay and we feel like that God is with us and that we are new people when we're sitting in church or maybe talking with a a Christian brother or sister. But by and large, we go out into the world and we do not live in such a way that the Holy Spirit is filling us each and every day and so we get down in it quite a bit. 
I believe it is the filling of the Holy Spirit that gives us what it takes to know what to do, to be able to respond correctly in every situation, to, to feel each day the way that maybe you do here on Sunday mornings, to know that you're never alone, to see God work in and through you, to be able to, to talk about Jesus without fear and without awkwardness, to see light in the darkness, to have faith in spite of your doubts, to overcome the sin that keeps you feeling ashamed, and to take the next step forward when you want to quit. That's what the filling of the Holy Spirit does. All that comes through the power of God's Spirit. And, and it is He whose roles we'll look at today. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. There are some Bibles there in front of you that mirror the translation that I'll be using this morning. If you don't have a Bible handy, or maybe you brought a different translation and you prefer to, to look at that. I know some of you just like to hear the Scripture and it kind of gets confusing when you, when you read it. If nothing else this morning, familiarize yourself with where the book of Acts is in the Bible. Maybe that can help you. Always helps me to know where things are and how to look them up and so on. The Bible's divided into two parts. The first two-thirds or so is known as the Old Testament. The latter third known as the New Testament. And then it's divided from there into books and then into chapters and then into verses. And if you don't know anything about the Bible at all or where to start, just start at the beginning. Table of contents. Go there and look it up. This morning we're going to look at, at the roles of the Holy Spirit in our lives, five of them at least. We will not cover everything and we're not going to be exhaustive this morning. But we're going to look at five roles of the Holy Spirit. And let, me, let me tell you first, uh, or answer the question I suppose, of who is the Holy Spirit. Now I'll answer it first in the negative. The Holy Spirit is not an it, like the force in Star Wars. Okay? Kids, just so you know, Star Wars ain't true. Okay? Some of your parents and whatever, they saw when it first came out, they've been living it since then. It ain't true. Okay? It's not. It's a fictional story about a fictional place, you know, a long time ago, far, far away. It's all fictional. It's not real. But there are folks who buy into that sort of thinking. And when they hear Holy Spirit, they think an it. They think a force, something that moves in and through us and connects us all. And somehow we can maybe harness its power and, and move rocks and spaceships and things like that, right? Like Luke Skywalker was trying, I guess that was in, what, episode five or six. It's not an, not an it thing today. So not like the force, that somehow we become part of this thing. We don't ever become part of God, by the way. God is other and he is separate and he is not us and we are not him. He is separate and he is different. We never become part of God. Not like the force. Anyway, it's, it's not an it also uh, like, like a warm, fuzzy feeling. Well, I just, you know, the Holy Spirit, I just, boy, you know, that thing, it just warms me up. That's not what we're talking about. The Holy Spirit, not an it, but a who. God himself in spirit form. Not an it, but a who. The one who was sent after the physical departure of Jesus. Not an it, but a who. The personal presence of God who was involved in creation, we see in Genesis. Involved in God's work in the Old Testament and New Testament. Who makes sinners new creations. Who, who the Bible says thinks and feels and acts and decides and wills things to happen. A who, who guides God's people in God's word and God's will. A who, the third person of the Trinity. So understand, we are talking this morning about God. We're not talking about an it, a thing from God. We are talking about God himself expressed in his Holy Spirit. 
we're talking about the third person of the Trinity. Now that may sound very confusing. God is one God expressed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see that throughout Scripture. The word Trinity, however, just as a matter of trivia, is nowhere mentioned in the Bible. The word Trinity is not there. And yet, the evidence of the Trinity, the case for the Trinity is there throughout. From, from Genesis all the way to the maps. That's all the way through it. The Trinity is there. And the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. I've heard it said that if you try to deny the Trinity, you'll lose your faith. But if you try to explain the Trinity, you lose your mind. And so this morning... This morning, I will simply state what the Bible states, that God exists in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Our focus this morning is on God, the Holy Spirit, and five of the roles that he plays in our lives. We're in a series close to being done. This is number 40 of 44, by the way, of Bible stories that have taken us from Genesis and will take us all the way through John's experience on the island of Patmos in Revelation, looking at an overall scope of the Bible. One grand story, not individual episodes that are disconnected, but one grand story that God was telling, revealing himself. The story of redemption starts with creation and it ends with restoration and heaven and earth made new forever. And that's what we've been looking at. And now we're, we're, we're in the chronology where Jesus has ascended into heaven. And so he is no longer physically present on the earth. And the disciples and the followers of Jesus, we'll, we'll see, we'll, uh, they're, they're together and they're waiting for what Jesus has promised. And so Jesus' ministry is finished up. He's died on the cross. He was buried. He was raised again. He spent 40 days after that appearing to his disciples and, and, and confirming the fact that he was truly alive. And then in Acts chapter 1, they see him ascend into heaven and, and then they replace one of the disciples, Judas, of course, who had betrayed Jesus. And then we catch up in verse 1 of chapter 2, Jesus had told them to go and wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And so they did. Look at it. When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. All together in one place. Now, just so you know, there, there's, no, there's no inclination here. There's no indication that they are scared. There, there's nothing to tell us that they're hiding. They simply were together, as Jesus had told them, go and wait for the Spirit that I will send to you. We're told they're only together waiting for what God said that he was going to do. Now, these were a people of action, just so you know. They weren't just the people who sat around all the time and just, well, God said he's going to do something. We just won't do anything. They had acted to replace Judas, but Jesus has said, go and wait. And so they acted when God said to act, and they waited when God said to wait. Now, I could preach a whole sermon on that verse right there. There are times when God wants us to do something, and there are times when God wants us to wait. And we can close in prayer right there because y'all just got it, didn't you? There are times when God says, you know what, this is what I want you to do. And we see that in scripture and we're to be proactive. And there are times when God says, I don't want you to do anything. I want you to wait. Now, some of you have been waiting for a long time. Waiting and waiting and waiting some more. These disciples together waiting. And then verse 2, God shows up. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. God shows up here and it sounds like a tornado. 
We don't have indication that this actually was a wind, but it sounded like a wind. The, the only way they can describe God showing up was to describe it in something that they could all understand. It sounded like a violent, rushing wind, like a tornado, I can assume. They didn't pray this in, by the way. They didn't go and say, well, Jesus didn't say, go and pray that the Holy Spirit might come. He said, go and wait, <laughs> and then God will do what he's going to do. They didn't pray it in. It wasn't their behavior that brought the Holy Spirit to earth. God did it in his own timing, not because of anything they did. And as the Spirit descended to establish the church era, that first sound was like that of a tornado. And then verse 3. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Doesn't mean it was fire, but that's the only way they could describe it. It looked like tongues of fire. Imagine Luke, the writer of this book, trying to help everybody understand years later what had happened. There was a sound, guys, and I, the only way I can describe it is it was like a violent rushing wind. And then something appeared. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but the best way that I can describe it was it looked like little tongues of fire that came and rested on everybody. That's the best way I can describe it, guys. That's what happened. First a sound like wind, then something like fire. Sound filled the house. Something that looked like fire rests on them. Something new is taking place. God is showing up. And it's at this moment... As God's spirit begins to indwell that house and, and he begins to, to get inside those believers, we see the first of these five roles that we'll see this morning. The first is to indwell. The first role that the Holy Spirit will, will fulfill in their lives is to indwell them. The spirit arrives and takes up residence, fills the whole house, and then lands on each one of them, filling each of them. About 120 folks there, not just the 12 disciples, but all of them, all of the believers. Understand this this morning, the Holy Spirit living inside of you is not for one day someday when you graduate into real faith in Jesus Christ. It is right now at the moment when you receive Jesus by faith, that is when the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of you. When he becomes the one who lives with your spirit inside of you, it is not one day someday when you go to seminary. Not one day, someday when you graduate and well, now we have a ceremony and apparently now you're a real Christian because you finally understand all these great things. No, no, no. Young people, when you become a Christian and you give your life to Jesus, you get all of him. All of him. You're not a junior Christian. We're not waiting for you to grow up. You know what we're waiting for you to do? To lead us in what it looks like following Jesus. That's what we're waiting for you to do. Some of us have forgotten. When you become a Christian, it's not, well, a little now and maybe a little later. The Holy Spirit indwells. He lives inside of you. This was different, by the way, from what had taken place back in the Old Testament. The Old Testament, the, the Spirit would come upon people. Maybe you've read that. For a specific time, for a specific purpose, the Holy Spirit would come upon someone, anointing them for this specific uh, service and, and, a, and a limited period of time. Now the Holy Spirit, you see, shows up and it's different. He comes to live in us. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us on different occasions, it helps us confirm our salvation. Some of you have doubts. The Holy Spirit, it says, addresses those doubts within us. And he helps us to know and to feel assured 
that we truly are saved from our sins and saved from the wrath of God. The Holy Spirit, as you see here, rests on all the believers, dwells in all believers. It should bring unity. There is is nothing more hypocritical than a church that is divided over non-biblical issues. Nothing more hypocritical. Nothing more sad. Nothing more tragic than a church divided over non-biblical issues. You know what non-biblical issues are? Personal preference. I like this, I don't like that. Folks, if we get divided over that, shut it down. Now, I mean that sincerely. Close the doors. Start over. Because if we cannot be unified enough to say, you know what, here's what the Bible says, here's who we are, we will not allow these things to divide us, though we may disagree, we will still follow Jesus together, shut it down. Don't split. No, no, don't still, no, nobody goes and starts something somewhere else. We shut it down and we start over. You get what I'm saying? I don't believe we're dealing with that. But it is a cautionary tale. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us that he might draw us together and provide unity. The Holy Spirit also produces fruit in us as he indwells us. We produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you want to know, am I truly a believer? Is there fruit being produced by the Holy Spirit in your life? That will give you confirmation. The Holy Spirit indwells us to give us the, the promise of the permanent while we still live in the temporary. One day we will experience the presence of God in an unending fashion as we're forever with Him in heaven. The Holy Spirit gives us a, a preview of that. God now resides in us. We have God's presence with us now here all the time. In the temporary lives that we live one day, we will have that forever. The Holy Spirit indwells us to provide a personal experience with God on a daily basis and to work out our sanctification process, making us more like Jesus. And so we have the Spirit of God living in us if you're a believer. But that's just the beginning. With the the indwelling, rather, of the Holy Spirit came, came another role. And this is one that's sort of subtle in the book of Acts here, but I know it's there. And that is to encourage The Holy Spirit was there not only to indwell, but through his indwelling, through living in those believers, he was able to encourage them. The promise of God has been fulfilled. Jesus says, go and wait for the Spirit. He had told them on numerous occasions, I am going to the Father, but I will send the Counselor. I will send the Comforter, he said, talking of the Holy Spirit. And it's at this moment when those folks, maybe as they began to wonder, it's been 10 days since Jesus went back to heaven. It's been 10 days. You ever waited for something for 10 days? Feels like an eternity sometimes. These folks, not scared, not hiding, but at some point maybe wondering how long is this going to be? Maybe we're going to be here quite a while. 10 days they waited for the promise to be fulfilled. And then after those 10 days, the Holy Spirit rushes into that room. Imagine what they felt in that moment. Imagine imagine what they felt years later as they read this under persecution. And they look and they say, God hadn't dropped the ball. God hadn't forgotten us. Imagine them knowing that God was in them that they were different, that this was a pep rally that could have lasting effects, knowing that God's timing was perfect. This was the day of Pentecost, which was 50 days after the Sunday after Passover. 
festival of Pentecost was to signify the end of the grain harvest. The, the, the end of one season and the beginning of another. And so it's on this day the Holy Spirit comes signifying the end of an old era and the beginning of a brand new one. Imagine realizing God's timing and also his methods were perfect. Wind and fire in the Old Testament, always symbols of God's presence and his holiness. Imagine being able to look back on this and say, you know what, when God showed up and it was something like a wind and it was something like a fire, he's showing us yet again that he is always with us and that we are his people made brand new. And maybe some of us need that reminder today that God's timing and his methods are perfect and that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that God lives in you and you are a new person. Not, this, not the same. Now the bad news, by the way, is also true. And if you are not a believer, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, have never repented of your sin and humbled yourself in faith in the Son of God as the only way to get to heaven, if that is not you, then God does not live in you. Sound harsh? Maybe. I didn't write it. God wrote it. And it's the truth. God is not with you, if that makes sense, if you are not a believer in him in Jesus Christ. He does not live inside of you. And maybe today is the day that you say, you know what? I want to repent. I want to turn in faith to Jesus Christ, receiving the Holy Spirit, being made new. The Spirit was there to encourage them. Thirdly, we see in verse 4, beginning of the filling of the Holy Spirit, He is there to empower them. Verse 4, it says, Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. First he indwells them, resting on them. Then he fills them up. Filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. It says, Then they were filled. First the Spirit indwells those believers. And then in order to empower them for what he had next for them, he fills them up. The Spirit empowered them, filled them so that he could use them for his purposes. And immediately, they begin to speak on behalf of God. I did a little homework in the New Testament. When it says that someone was filled with the Holy Spirit, do you know what they began to do? To speak on behalf of God. Do you realize, and, and, and maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't, part of the reason we don't speak on behalf of God more is because we are not filled with God's Holy Spirit to be speaking on God's behalf. Some of us are terrified to say the name of Jesus outside of church. Some of us aren't real sure if we ever should. And it's really awkward. And then it gets real quiet in church when I say that. Isn't it true, though? Maybe it's because we are not filled with God's Spirit to the point that we are empowered now to speak on behalf of God and we're no longer worried about ourselves. These folks were given the ability in that moment to speak intelligible languages to other folks that could understand it but did not speak their native language and they were speaking on behalf of God. It says the wondrous acts of God. They're talking about Jesus in a way that those around them that needed to hear the message could understand it. That's why I'm not a big fan of bullhorn guy on the corner. Not a big fan of bullhorn guy. 
stands and yells and screams. Maybe somebody will hear that. Maybe that's their native language, but I doubt it. But you know what I am a fan of? God empowering his people, you and me, to go where we are with our native people, if that makes sense, speaking in a language in a way that they can understand and we on God's behalf speak his words to them. God wants to empower you right where you are. You are not in the wrong place. You do not work in the wrong place. You do not go to school in the wrong place. You were not born into the wrong family. You are not in the wrong place. You are exactly where God wants you to be. Allow him to empower you by his spirit so that you might speak the words of Jesus right where you are. And that's huge. Because so many of us say, well, I'm not in an environment that, that is conducive to being a Christian. Do you realize this world is not conducive to being a Christian? The only place that's conducive to being a Christian is in heaven. So if God wanted you to have a world that is conducive to being a Christian, you'd be dead. You dig? You ain't dead, though, are you? So the world in which you live, not conducive to being a Christian, not going to promote your values, not going to reinforce what you believe. That is the world to which God has sent you and he is empowering you by his Holy Spirit to go and speak on his behalf in a language, in a way that those folks around you can understand it. But you have to be filled with his spirit in order for that to happen. If not, you're on your own and good luck with that. You've been there? Man, I messed that one up. Tell you what, I said all the wrong things. I didn't make any sense whatsoever. You ever walk away feeling like that? Tried to talk to somebody about Jesus, and all you did was just make them mad for the wrong reasons. Not because they're mad about Jesus; they're now mad at you because you said something this and that and whatever. You didn't go in God's in God's power. You went in your own. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up and empower you, and that's what's happening. They begin to speak in these different languages, and then the next role that we see. Not only does he indwell, does he encourage, does he empower, but he also is there to enlighten us. I love this part here, beginning in verse 5. There were Jews, it says, living in Jerusalem, all from different places, it says. And they, they were astounded, it says, verse 7, because they hear him speaking in their own language. And they said, look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And then how is it that each of us hears this in our native language? And it says in verse 12, and they were astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? What in the world's going on? And in verse 13, there's always these dudes, right? Verse 13, some sneered and said, they're full of new wine. You know what that means? They're drunk. They, they're, they, they've lost it. They're drunk. They had a little bit too much at communion. They're drunk. You know? Well, look what Peter says, verse 14. He stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and proclaimed to them, Jewish men and all you residents of Jerusalem, let this be known to you, and pay attention to my words. And there's almost some humor in this, by the way. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only nine in the morning. <laughs> I'll just tell you, and I mean this, come and talk to me if this is you right now, okay? If, if at nine in the morning you've got a drinking problem, you have a drinking problem, okay? Please, and I mean that with all sincerity, come and talk. We're going to help you. <laughs> All right? Because that's a problem. That's what Peter's saying. Come on. These guys aren't drunk. Serious? Let me tell you, he says. Let me tell you what's going on. And he says in verse 16, on the contrary, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. Now, I'm not going to read all of Peter's sermon here. 
But what the Holy Spirit does in this moment is to enlighten the apostle Peter. He, 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 he shows him and helps him understand how all of what is happening in this moment is the fulfillment of scripture from centuries before. God had promised through the prophet Joel that there would be a time when everybody would be anointed in the same way to speak on behalf of God. And Peter says, that's what's happening right in front of you. And then he goes on to preach a sermon that enlightens the people who listen. He begins to gain a deeper understanding of Scripture and he begins to pass that on to those who also needed that understanding. The Spirit enlightens Peter so that he can then enlighten the crowd. First showing Peter what the Scripture means and then giving him a sermon that is targeted specifically to reach those who did not understand. All of the knowledge of Scripture that Peter had gained through the years finally makes sense as the Holy Spirit opens his mind and helps him understand. Here's what the Word of God is saying. Here's what God has said. Here's what God means. The Spirit gave him insight and understanding to both the Word and to his audience. And God still works the same way today. And that's why, just so you know, that's why you don't need me to interpret Scripture for you. You don't need me. I hope that I can be a help to you, but you do not need me to hear from God. That is not how it works. I am not the sole interpreter of Scripture for Elm Grove Baptist Church. I am not your priest before God. Jesus Christ and He alone is that for you. And the Holy Spirit and He alone can give you understanding of Scripture. And so this morning, guess what? If anything makes sense, do you know why? It's not because of me. It's because the Holy Spirit has enlightened me to enlighten you. And I'll say this. He doesn't enlighten us with anything that He's not enlightened with before. There is nothing new that God will give us today. The revelation of Scripture, the revelation of God is full and complete right here. And there is nothing new. I've told you this before. If I stand up on a Sunday morning and say, I've got a brand new word from God that has never been written down and never heard before, you should, number one, think I'm joking with you. But then if I'm really serious, you should think that I have lost my mind. And if I'm really, really serious and refuse to repent, not only should you fire me, but you should burn, burn me alive. No, I'm just joking. You, you should try to win me to the Lord because I have not understood it. There is nothing new. I am simply going to the scripture to say, Holy Spirit, show me what this really means. Help me to understand so that I can help those folks. That's what happens to Peter. Last night I had the opportunity. These two fellows were with me as a matter of fact. We went to an FCA banquet, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We heard a man speak that was a former Major League Baseball player. He was rookie of the year. He was a number one overall draft pick. Eight-time All-Star, I believe, four-time World Series champion. His name's Daryl Strawberry. Some of you remember Daryl Strawberry. He played for the 1986 Mets when Bill Buckner muffed the ground ball between his legs for the Red Sox, and the world cried because the Red Sox had not won a World Series, and nobody liked the Mets. And so, and then he won the World Series again in 1996 and 98 and 1999 with the Yankees. The world cried again because nobody likes the Yankees, right, Drew? And... Um, Anyway, Daryl Strawberry last night, 
he, he told of his story with Jesus. It was interesting, by the way, I talked to these guys on the way home. He didn't talk about his career, really at all. He just said, I was a baseball player. You know, he said, I was rookie of the year. People know me from some of that. He said, but that guy's dead. He said, that guy's dead. He said, he said God's made me brand new. And he said, when God saved his soul... A few years after that, God sent him to speak to different people. And he said, God, there's no way. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I, 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 that's not me. I can't do that. He said, God, I've never been to school. I haven't been to seminary. I haven't studied this stuff. God said, study the word and I will show you. And it was amazing last night to listen to a man talk who's been a Christian for maybe 15 years and really serious about teaching God's word for less than 10 and to hear his mind and his mouth be filled with scripture that he has sat down on his own and studied. He said, for seven years, I just sat in the back in church and listened and learned. And he said, then I finally got serious about studying it on my own. And he said, the Holy Spirit has shown me what the scripture means. And he wasn't coming from left field saying, he's shown me something new. He said, he, he's just helped me understand. Here's what it means. Let me encourage you to read your Bible. I mean that sincerely. Listen, if you are not reading your Bible during the week, this is not a guilt trip, not in any way. I'm not here to beat you up with, with this big old thick Bible I got right here. But you are missing out on what God wants to do in your life. You are missing God if you are not reading his word every single day. I've told you before, if you're not a Bible reader, let me encourage you to start in one of two places and preferably both. Start in the Gospels. Start in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you need even a sp more specific place, start in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through Matthew 7, and then start in Proverbs. You'll get Jesus, God in human flesh, and you'll understand him and his life and his ministry and his death and his resurrection, and Proverbs will show you here's how all that is lived out. Read the Bible. Ask for God's guidance. Ask for his Holy Spirit to help you understand. And then the fifth and the final role that we'll look at today as we close. Not only to indwell and to encourage and to empower and to enlighten us about God's word, but also to expose. It's interesting as Peter preaches this sermon, <laughs> I almost picture him getting really fired up. And he may have been a pulpit pounder, stomper, spitter, screamer, I don't know what he was. But I picture him being very, very passionate about what he's saying because he's talking to the Jewish people. And you know what he tells them? You killed Jesus, your Messiah. You killed him. It's kind of a bold sermon, isn't it? But you know what it does? By the end of the sermon, those folks and their souls are laid wide open. And it says in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, after Peter says all of these things and he tells them the story of Jesus and he presents the gospel to them, it says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? It exposed their sin. It exposed their unbelief. It exposed their lives. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in us and through us. It's the Holy Spirit's role to use God's word in that way, to convict people, to pierce their hearts, to cut them deep. Let me tell you, we, we are not responsible, just so you know, okay? And I'm going to close real soon. I know it's hot in here. At least it is to me. I'm hot. We, we are not responsible, personally or online, especially online, 
especially, especially online, we are not responsible to call out the sins of everybody else. We are not the Holy Spirit. We do not convict. We do not save. We do not regenerate. We do not make things new. And we certainly don't do it by being a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal online where there is no love. We, we are not God's Holy Spirit for the Facebook world, for the Instagram world, for the Twitter world, or for whatever world you might live in online. We are not God's Holy Spirit. We, we are only responsible to hold up God's Word properly interpreted as the standard for belief and behavior and let God do His work through it. And, and, and then along with that, every time we hear, and I mean we, not just you, you and me, every time we hear the Word of God, we are accountable to it, to obey it, to repent of sin because of it, to listen to the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings as a result of it. We are accountable as God exposes us. Peter preached that day in the power of the Holy Spirit, speaking boldly God's word and trusting that His Spirit would convict those who heard it. The roles that we see here in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit, to indwell, to encourage, to empower, to enlighten, to expose, those are the roles that the Holy Spirit still plays in our lives. Two potential responses today. The first, and I mentioned it before, the first is that maybe today you need to receive the Holy Spirit into your life by repenting of your sin and humbly believing in Jesus and Jesus alone, Jesus plus nothing for your salvation. Knowing and understanding you stand under the wrath of God for your sin and for being a sinner, and maybe today it is God who is saying to you, it's time to repent. Give me your life. Receive the Holy Spirit, the indwelling. Let me live in you and change you. That may be your response today. Secondly, let me encourage you, if you're a believer in Jesus, every day, every day this week, ask God to fill you with His Spirit. God, fill me today. Lord, fill me with things that are of you. God, remind me of Scripture. Put yourself in the Word each day. Spend time in prayer. God, fill me with your Spirit that I might be encouraged. Lord, fill me with your Spirit that I might be empowered. That, Lord, I would be enlightened so that I can enlighten others. That, Lord, I might be exposed and you might use me to expose something in someone's life that needs to be given to you. Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we thank you for sending your Holy Spirit. That you might live in us as believers in Christ. That you might encourage us one step at a time. That we might be empowered to speak on your behalf. That we might be enlightened to understand you and your word more deeply. Or that we might be exposed. That our sins would be shown to us that we might repent of them, that you might use us in some way in your kingdom. Lord, I pray for those this morning who need to receive your Holy Spirit, 
by simply believing in Jesus as the Son of God, the one whom the Heavenly Father raised from the dead. May that be so today. May they cry out to you for forgiveness, receiving your grace, committing themselves to you once and for all. And Lord, for those who are believers, please fill us each day with your Holy Spirit. Send us out from this place in a perpetual Holy Spirit pep rally that we might know that you are with us, in us, and that we might know that you have made us different and sent us out. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.